0: Hello and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant, and yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. You know, as we sing that magnificent song, it's it's a reminder in my own life that without the resurrection, nothing else, none of it means anything. You with me? Uh, If the cross wouldn't have been able to kill Jesus, if the tomb would have been able to hold him, if death could have kept Jesus contained, you and I would all be hopeless tonight. And so because he lives, how about that? we can face tomorrow. And we can face tomorrow with eagerness, can't we? And we can, we can face tomorrow with anticipation of what God might do in our own lives and through our lives. If you have your Bible, join me back in Luke chapter 3. Will you make your way there? Luke chapter 3. We have a little bit of unfinished business tonight, right? <clears throat> and you you know, we got to pick up where we left off. And, uh, and hey, let me ask this question. I've used you making way there to Luke chapter 3. Remember, we left off in verse number 18, so that'll be a good place to pick back up again, wouldn't it? And uh, we'll put all the pieces together and continue letting God use His Word and His Spirit to shape us tonight. Okay, how many of you got a little nap today? Some, somewhat of a nap today. Raise your hand, huh? Anybody? Hallelujah. A lot of naps got made in the house. That means uh, it looked about sixty forty there. And so, the other 40 of us, we got to tighten up next week, try to get that nap in, don't we? And so, let's be careful that we do indeed try and rest our minds and our bodies. Uh, God did it on the, on the day of the week and after He had created everything, and He did it to show us that we needed it. And so, you and I need to be careful to rest our minds. Our minds, they have a capacity. Maybe our minds have a capacity. Those things will short circuit and burn out. Uh, you know that, right? And, uh, and our bodies too. So we need to be careful to on, listen, honor God by resting. You know, what? one thing I'm going to pray for you this week, that you get in bed a little earlier this week. Every night, you get in bed just a little, you know, 10, 15 minutes earlier, and see what the Lord will do in your health by giving you a little more rest this week, okay? Now, let's pick up in Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse number 18. Title of tonight's message is simply, Learning of Jesus learning of Jesus. And we'll uh, continue thinking about what he said this morning. How many of you learned something this morning from that passage in the early part of Luke? Amen. Man, that was some deep teaching, wasn't it? On repentance. And I was looking through some of my notes. I kind of researched that through some of my uh, different ways that I store uh, sermons. And I realized that I'd never preached in 18 years that particular passage uh, from Luke chapter three. So uh, it was an honor this morning to preach that, but also it's still dealing with me. Anybody else say it's still dealing with you? And so I've got to consider what it means to stay in a spirit of repentance as I walk with Jesus in this life, okay? Now, also, 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 let me say this. We need to be careful that we don't leave repentance out when we're sharing the gospel. Did you get that this morning? Because without repentance, there is no salvation. So we can't just say, hey, pray this prayer with me, because that wouldn't be the full gospel. It wouldn't be what the scripture teaches. So we need to first tell them they're going to have to, in order for them to receive Jesus, the first step of that is they're going to have to, what's the word? Repent. Now, when you say that, they're going to look at you like you got a two-headed monster. What do you mean? What does that mean? And you're going to be able to tell them. I'd say use a little illustration as you share the gospel with them. Say, well, it means maybe you're headed down the highway. My favorite one is me when I'm lost on the highway. I don't think I'm lost, but I missed my exit. Tina wakes up, says, I missed my exit. I argue with her a little bit and said, I have not missed my exit. We go several more miles out of the way, several more minutes out of of our uh, ETA and I see a sign that tells me certainly I'm headed the wrong direction, and it wasn't until that time that I had a repentant moment. My mind was changed, and you know what happened when my mind changed? I turned the car around. So you can use a little illustration like that as you explain repentance to them because it's a big word. It's a word they don't commonly use, but I would encourage you don't skip it, okay, because without repentance there is no salvation. Okay, Luke chapter 3 beginning in verse 18. All right, quickly, quickly, who's the author? Luke, by physician he is? Uh, excuse me. By uh, occupation, <laughs> you see, I didn't get a nap today. Uh, by occupation, he is a physician. Now, how would what are one of the details we notice about this physician in his writing? Very detail oriented, right? He writes a lot of details. He observes things that maybe the other gospel writers didn't observe. And so, uh, again, we talk about the fact we want our doctor to be, we want him or her to be very uh, t- detail oriented. And so, as he is recording the life, times, teachings of Jesus. What is the purpose of his letters? Anybody know? Boy, y'all are shrinking. How am I going to say this, right? The letter is written to Theophilus, and what's the purpose? To prove what Theophilus had heard about Jesus, his life, teachings, times, and death and resurrection were absolutely True, all right? Hey, you ought to be able to say that now when you're explaining the Bible to people, okay? Now, picking up in verse number 18, do you remember where we left off? We left off in a great big baptism, right? And who is doing the baptizing? John the Baptizer or John the Baptist, right? And the people that are coming out are coming from all over. They're all walks of life. They're soldiers, there are tax collectors, there are uh, 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 Pharisees, there's all kind of folk coming out. And we saw this morning that when the crowd came to him, he, he greeted them a certain, a certain loving way, right? A brood of vipers. And we said that really means? So now y'all are priming that pump, okay? Now you're coming back into context. So he called them sons of the devil because brood of vipers to that group. They understood serpent was Satan and brood his offspring, and so he called them sons of the devil. And we said, once again, the Bible teaches us that we're not all God's children. Everybody on planet Earth is not God's child. We have to be born again to be God's child, okay? So we then see some illustration of what it means to repent. And the fact that being Jewish wasn't enough to be saved, but being Gentile wasn't enough to keep you from being saved, that Jesus was enough for both parties, right? Jew and Gentile alike. He could bring, he could save anybody who will repent and believe. So we coming on down in verses 10 to 15 or 14, we said, uh, then, then, then John gets specific in his illustrations. Different ones come to him, and Luke is recording every detail, remember? Uh, he says, well, if you got two tunics, you shouldn't be greedy. And repentance is expressed in how you live, right? Change life. Uh, then he talks to the tax collectors, where you shouldn't take more than what you're appointed, right? Then he talks to the soldiers, and he says you shouldn't bully people, right? and right, and take bribes. And, uh, and so we see him deal with repentance in practical terms. Because, listen, the people's response to the message of repentance is, okay, what does that look like for me? And it ought to be the question that beats in my heart. First in salvation, but, but also, how about this? How about when I've sinned against God or sinned against my brother or sister in Christ? I need to be asking the question of myself and the Holy Spirit, what? What does repentance look like for me in this situation? What, is it, what does it look like in this situation for me to repent? Is it for me to just act like I didn't do it? Is it for me just to say I'm sorry? What does it look like? And we looked at this morning that it's way more than just an apology, okay? Now, we're picking up at what's going to lead to Jesus' baptism and his genealogy. Okay. Now we're not going to read through that because there's a bunch of names in there that we'd all laugh if we tried to pronounce them. And uh, I'm going to get you, you can read through those on your own. I'm going to conclude with one important part of his genealogy. Okay. So without any further ado, I would invite you to stand to your feet with me tonight and let's read, let's read beginning in verse number 18, all the way down through verse number 22. And then we're going to skip down and read the very last line of his genealogy and tie it to a certain somebody. Okay. That okay with all all right, by the way, look at this group of people. I remember to a time at in, in, in Hickory Ridge when I was, I was preaching to eight people on a Wednesday night and two of those were fans. And I look around this room and here you guys are and I want to say thank you because I'm telling you, I have so many pastor friends that are struggling because their people don't show up on Wednesday night, I mean, Wednesday night, Sunday night. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. But I want to challenge you to do something. I want to challenge you to notice somebody who's here on Sunday morning who's not here now and challenge them to come visit with you one time on Sunday night and let them experience what we get to experience, okay, as we close uh, the first day of the week out in magnificent form as we spend time in the Word, okay? Will you do that with me, yes? You'll do that next week, okay. Picking up now, verse number 18. And with many other exhortations he preached to them. Who did, John. But Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, And for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this, above all, in other words, the worst evil thing he did was that he shut John up in prison. Now, don't get confused here, because what Luke does is he highlights an event that happens later, and then he jumps back into real time, because he talks about the baptism of Jesus, and when you compare the synoptic gospels, all the gospels compare them, you'll find out who is the one who baptized Jesus. John the baptizer, not John the disciple, John the baptizer, okay? So let's pick back up in verse 21. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized, and while he prayed, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, and in you I am well pleased." Verse number 23 says, now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age. So this marks the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, okay? Performing miracles and signs and wonders. Uh, it goes on to say, being as was supposed the son of Joseph. And then he goes on to mention all of these, uh, these lineage. Now, now you're going to notice that his and Matthew's genealogy is a little different. And uh, what you're going to find out is you may find that, and you're reading that, and you're like, oh, goodness, somebody's wrong. Matthew's wrong, or or Luke is wrong. Somebody's wrong, and and if you compare them, you're you're scratching your head. Well, understand something about Jewish genealogies. They didn't always follow one dad to the son to the dad to the son. Uh, It was kind of. I know it's going to mess with your head in our Western way of doing things. But what they would do is they may say a dad and then go to grandson. And so it, it, for me and you, it'd be a mess. We like these to be very linear, don't we? Uh, dad and son and dad and son, let's go that way. But that's not how they would do, okay? Uh, some also point to the fact that in in Matthew's genealogy, if you consider this uh, Joseph and Mary, it's more of Mary's genealogy, And so you you just began to see that there's some differences, but not contradiction, okay? And so just keep that in mind in our Western way of trying to study the Bible, all right? Now, coming down to the last, uh, verse number 38, the last line of Jesus' genealogy, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, and I want you to read this last one with me, the son of God, okay? Let's pause for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you tonight for the opportunity to grow. We thank you for a place we can come in out of the weather, We thank you, Lord, for people who are here serving tonight, teaching little children, keeping little babies in the nursery so mom and dad can learn, Uh, those who are teaching young people right now, breaking into small groups of uh, six to ten of those young people at a table, asking the difficult questions, letting them ask and learning. God, I thank you for all of that. I thank you for people who showed back up tonight to say, I'm not finished being fed today. I want to be fed a little more from the Word of God. So, God, would you do that? we humble ourselves before you and we say, please, please help me to preach. And God, please help us to hear and receive. And Father, please stir revival in our hearts that, that there'd be such a gathering of believers on Sunday night, next Sunday night, uh, Wednesday night, that we'd have to go to two services. Lord, I know that'd be crazy and people don't even want to think about that. But God, I wish you would do that. I pray that you would do that. Please do that. Lord, for those who just decided to stay home tonight, I pray as they're listening right now that you would touch their heart and help them to see they need to be in the room. And Father, I pray your spirit would do that, and I pray your spirit now would help me to preach and help me to listen both at the same time. Now I pray you tune everybody's ears in the room and outside the room who are listening at some remote location or those trip, busy, something with their hands, I pray they would hear from heaven. So speak to our hearts now, we pray. In the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. Amen and amen. Thank you you may be seated. And what we're going to do tonight is there's not really particularly a main idea because, well, really what we're doing to do is learn about Jesus. There's just some learning some in the closing part of this chapter because we know mostly uh, uh, Luke chapter three is is dedicated to what was the word? Repentance. Some of you are like, well, oh yeah, repentance uh, is dedicated to repentance. The last portion of chapter three is dealing with just us getting some insight to know Jesus better. Okay, and by the way, we would do we would do well to know Jesus better every day and I would say this to you, as you walk to Christian life, as you follow Jesus, I would say that God really desires one thing from me and you, one thing every single day of our life, just one. And that one thing he desires from me and you every day is to get to know him better. And if we'll do that in prayer and in his word, I'm telling you, he'll transform our lives. We'll look way more like Jesus every day than we did the day before. And by the time our race is done, We'll be living a life that resembles and looks like and, ex- and proves this world that God did send Jesus into the world to save sinners such as I. <clears throat> Let's rewind back to the beginning here tonight, okay? Back in verse number 18. And there are four individual observations I'd like to, li- like to make tonight about uh, Jesus. And the first one is really going to have to do more with uh, following Jesus and living the mission, okay? So write this in your notes as, r- as number one. The title is Learning of Jesus. Number one, write this down. Living the mission. Now, what is the mission? It is it is seeking and saving that which was lost what is the mission M- make disciples okay that's what our mission is it's the mission that Jesus came and he fulfilled the work of it on the cross but he invited me and you to be laborers in the in the field in the vineyard uh, to go out and and seek and save that which was lost okay to make disciples so living the mission Write this in your notes Roman number one living the mission will be here's the here's the kicker you ready will be difficult Somebody's like, wow, I'm glad I came back on Sunday night. Here's what we started out with. Uh, Living the mission, following Jesus will be difficult. (laughs) But let me say this to you. You already knew that. If you follow Jesus any amount of time, seriously follow Jesus any amount of time in your life, besides on Sunday at church, you'll find out quickly it is difficult to follow Jesus in the culture and the day in which we live, okay? So let's put our eyes back on verse number 18. And with many other exhortations, he preached to the people. Would you say that verses... 1 through 18 uh, summarize a life surrendered to Jesus. Would you say that so far, what we've read in verses 1 through 17 or 18 about John, the baptizer? Yeah. Re- remember, when, remember when they started wondering if he was the Messiah? You, you remember that part we talked about this morning? They're, they're, they're in their heart, they're saying, I wonder if this is the Messiah. Could this be the Messiah? And boy, he cut him off, didn't he? What you call, cut him off at the pass? He said, ho, 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 pump the brakes. Let me explain something to you guys. One that is coming after me is greater than I am. After me, he's the forerunner. That's the, oftentimes John is referred to as the forerunner of Christ. So he says, the one coming after me is greater, is mightier than I Matter of fact, he used the illustrations. Does anybody remember what he said? I'm not worthy to loosen the sandal straps on his feet. I'm not even worthy to do that. You're thinking I'm the Messiah? No way. It's Jesus, and it's all about Jesus and we'd do well to keep that in mind, wouldn't we? And so we would say verses 1 through 18 is a man whose life is surrendered to his calling, to the Spirit's leadership. Uh, and I said to you this morning he was a New Testament prophet, but really he was an Old Testament prophet, because, you know, he died before Jesus died, and, oh, you never thought about that, have you? And so you say, wait a minute, I thought we're reading the New Testament. Yeah, he's an Old Testament prophet recorded in the New Testament, right? Because the New Testament's not sealed until it's sealed in blood. Whose blood? Jesus' blood. John dies by being beheaded before Jesus does. So he would be Old Testament prophet. How about that? I was thinking about that today. I said, you know what? I was wrong when I said that. I need to clarify tonight. And so uh, these things are good for us to discuss. Okay, living the mission will be difficult. So we, we've determined that he would be a man we'd say surrendered. He was surrendered fully surrendered, we talk about that recently, and what will be the result, what will be the reward, what will be the outcome at the end of his life for being fully surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ? You'd expect him to have a big house, you'd expect him to have nice cars, right? You'd expect him to have all this Western way of thinking, but what, his, what happens next to him is that he is put in prison. He's put in prison. Now, how many of us tonight would say, "Man, if I gave up everything and was out in the wilderness eating locusts and drinking hunt, wild honey and dressed in camel's hair, and people are coming out in the wilderness and I'm and they and they don't really mean it, so I'm calling them sons of the devil and and I'm baptized and then and then I'm gonna I'm gonna step out on if you will faith and just be bold and say, thus said the Lord,' and what I'm gonna get for that is I'm gonna be locked up." And I wish I could tell you today that John, because of that, John never wavered in his faith. This is interesting to me. John had the Holy Spirit from when? The The womb. We saw that in Luke chapter 1, right? But the question I want to ask you is, well, in these verses, let's read. But here, the Tetrarch, verse 19 being rebuked by him. Now, now, remember, we're going ahead in time, and we're going to deal with this first, and then we're going to go back in time and deal with the baptism of Jesus. That'd be okay with y'all good, because that's the way it's recorded here, okay? Now, someone might ask the question, why did Luke do that? I believe, now, well, not that we could prove it, but I believe that Luke was making a point here that this was the ending, of uh, the, the 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 decrease of John and the increase of Jesus, right? Uh, in this public ministry, beginning with his baptism and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> so, verse 19, Herod the Tetrarch being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, what's happened is Herod has began uh, marrying Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whether they'd been divorced or what have you. In Old Testament law, it was seen as it was seen as almost incest because she had become one with the brother. He had not died. They were divorced. And so it was wrong in the eyes of God and Levitical law to do such a thing. And, and because John was a man of God and was not, and was not passive in his leadership, he called out the government. He called out the highest ranking official and said, What you're doing is wrong. It's wrong in the sight of God. And by the way, that's what we ought to do as followers of Jesus. Not that we hammer people, but when our government or situations are headed in a way that we know we're in opposition of God's Word, we can't be shy about it. We can't hide under a bushel basket, right? But we have to be vocal in the fact that we believe this to be against God's will and God's design. And we tow the line on, on some very important issues. So listen to what happens. And so he does this, and what happens in verse 20, says, And added to all the evil things that Herod did, above all the things, the most evil thing that he did is that he shut John up in prison. Now, what I want to do is uh, get you to fast forward with me and let's deal with what happens with John as he's in prison. So, fast forward to John, excuse me, Luke chapter 7 and verse 18. I want you to turn there because there's a lot of verses. We're going to look at verse 18 through verse 28, 10 verses. You don't want to read all those on the overhead. So, make your way there in your Bible, okay? Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse number 18. Boy, that's a good sound, isn't it? I remember preaching one time at Friends of Alcoholics <clears throat> and about, I don't know, 12, 15 years ago, and there was a man there named John. He was from Michigan. And uh, I'll tell you the story why you're finding your place. And John wrote a letter back home. He wasn't a believer yet. He ended up getting saved later that night. But that day, he wrote a letter home. And he said, Mom, we had a chapel service this morning. We're going back and having an evening message tonight. But he said when the pastor was leading people in the Scriptures, he said the people began turning here and there. And he said it was the most wonderful sound hearing those pages turn. It sounded like tissue paper being opened on, presents being opened on Christmas morning. And that has stuck with me all these years, thinking about how precious it is when you're turning those pages because there's greater gifts on these pages than you'll ever find in a gift wrap box. Amen. Let, let's read, okay? <clears throat> Luke chapter 7. Are you there? Verse 18. The disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus. So John the Baptist is in prison, and he's brought two of his disciples. Now you say, wait a minute, I thought they were disciples of Jesus. <clears throat> well, you have to remember that a disciple, by definition, is a follower of the teachings of another and in this particular time the other people had disciples John had disciples different ones had disciples we know that we are disciples of Christ okay uh, following his teachings but so let's follow along brings two of his disciples and he sends them to Jesus and here's the thing that he the message he wants delivered to Jesus now we know that he is baptizing Jesus he already has we know that in that scene he said to Jesus, I don't need to baptize you. You need to baptize me. And Jesus said, no, this must be, this is the fulfillment of righteousness. You, you're going to baptize me. And he baptizes Jesus. He's the same John that said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Right? And so he's fully convinced. He's, his life is surrendered. He's telling people that they've got to repent so that they can turn to faith in Jesus, and have their sins forgiven. And now he's been locked away. Now he had the Holy Spirit from birth. Now here's my question for you. Uh, Do you think that John ever questioned, do you think that the difficulty of his life ever caused him to question who Jesus was? Okay, let's read. Let's read. Let's read. You ready? Put your eyes on it. So they asked Jesus, and he sent two of his disciples to Jesus with this question. Are you the coming one, or should we look for another one? So yes, he did. Wow. Wow had the Holy Spirit from birth. In a moment of difficulty in prison, he poses the question to the Messiah. Are you the Messiah? Or should we keep looking? You know, sometimes... When we find ourselves in difficulty, we find ourselves, even when we're saved, beginning to question God, don't we? We wonder if he's there. We wonder if he's moving. We wonder if he's acting. We wonder if he is uh, uh, faithful to what he says he'll do, right? We begin to question. We think immediately that the diagnosis is right and what the doctor says is right. And We always, well, not always, but sometimes we believe more in what we can see and hear than what we've been told by faith, Right? And so now let's read a little further. He says, uh, you ask the question, you go ask Jesus, are you the coming one or do we look for another? When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, are you the coming one or do we look for another? So they go and do what John asked them to do. And at that very hour, and I love this because immediately in verse 21, you don't hear an answer from Jesus. Jesus doesn't give words first. He gives actions first. He doesn't say, well, listen, you get your pen and pad out, and, uh, and you go ahead and get your papri and, 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 and quill out, dip it, in, and go ahead and begin to write down what I tell you. No, no. He said, watch. He didn't say watch, but he put on display who he was. By the way, Jesus can show you better than he can tell you, amen, uh, because his power was on display. By many signs and wonders, he declared himself to be the son of the one true God. Let's read, so at that very hour, how did Jesus respond to this question, this question of doubt? Notice he doesn't call John a name, he doesn't look down on John, because though John has the Holy Spirit, he also is still a man. And he says at this very hour, Jesus did what? Cured many of infirmities, what else? Afflictions, cured them of evil spirits, and he even took the blind and gave them sight. Jesus did all of that. And then Jesus answered the question, right with words. He did it first with deed, and then he backed it with words. Here's what he said. You go tell John the things that you've seen and heard. At the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead in cry are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Oh man, and blessed is he who is not offended by me. I want you to understand tonight what happened was Jesus put on display. You see that? He put on display, and and notice this word offended means cause to stumble cause to stumble. And so what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to do something that you can go back and testify to John because I love John and I know John and John has the Holy Spirit. And John just needs to be reminded that, that by the signs and wonders, I've already shown who I am. So I'm going to do something. He could have just said, go tell him yes. But he didn't. He gave, aren't you, aren't you thankful that Jesus cared so much that he wanted John to be reassured that he just didn't say, go tell him. I said yes. He, in essence, he said, watch this. He put on display the yes. And then he says, now you go you go remind him. You go remind him what you saw. You go tell him what your own eyes saw. You go tell him what your ears heard. You go tell him about the people who were leaping. You, you, you understand that when we read through that list quickly, but these were people who struggled with sickness and, de- and and deafness, right? And they couldn't see. They were blind. And they were lame. They, they couldn't walk. They couldn't get around. And Jesus fixed all of that. So these were human beings, you feel it. And I want you to understand, because of that, they must have shouted and praised and cried. You know how when God did that thing for you nobody else could do, and it overwhelmed your senses, and you couldn't help but to cry happy tears and sad, all, all rolled into one? I'm sure that. And so now, now that these disciples of John don't just go back to the prison and say, well, he said yes. They say, man, there was this guy named Bill, and he was blind. And, man, you should have seen him feeling and touching things and grabbing people's faces and seeing his mama for the first time. It's the most amazing thing. And there was this one dude, man. He'd been paralyzed all these years. You should have seen him jumping up and running down the street. Never seen anybody do backflips all the way down the street. They had testimony, you see. So uh, we can understand tonight that living the mission will be difficult, but we have evidence that Jesus is who he says he is. That's what we're learning tonight. We're learning that we can trust him. We're learning we can look back on what he's already done. We can look at what he's doing right now in our midst, and we can declare he is who he says he is. And though life is difficult, it's worth living the mission. Amen? Jesus is worth it. So living the mission will be difficult, but Jesus Christ is enough. Write that somewhere in your notes. Jesus Christ is enough. Okay, now we're going to go back to our original original text. That be okay with y'all? Have I lost anybody? Notice, remember that Luke went forward to the arrest, okay? And I went a little further down the road that during that arrest, during that what I'm gonna call incarceration, John struggled a little bit and wanted to ask the question, is Jesus really Jesus, or is there somebody else that you should be looking for? And Jesus lovingly answered his question. And I'm so thankful that, you know, when you and I question and we doubt, he didn't call us names, he didn't belittle us, he didn't put us out back but he loves us and meets us in the hour of our need, okay? So draw near. Don't, don't, don't put distance between you and him. Draw near to him. When you're struggling to believe, draw nearer. Spend more time in prayer and in his word, okay? Roman numeral two, and there are just seven of these, so we're going to get out of here before midnight. I'm just kidding. There's just four. Number two, number two. This is verses 21 and 22. Write this down. Jesus is baptized i tell you tonight's going to be very simple, straightforward. We're just working through the end of chapter three, and we're learning from the Scripture, right? And Jesus is baptized. Well, this presents some questions, doesn't it? With anybody besides me and Brother Joey, uh, why was Jesus baptized, right? Wouldn't you like to know that? Now, I'm going to tell you, there's so many theories out there. There are no, no, no less than four in most theological circles as to why Jesus was baptized. But let me just tell you, and this is going to probably mess you up because you're from the West, the answer is we don't know definitively, we can't say John said Jesus was baptized blank, blank, blank. Okay? You with me? Now Some of y'all are so jacked up, you just want to leave. You don't want to listen no more because you wanted wanted a straight, right-to-the-point answer, and God has not given us that. Now, listen, what that tells me is that's not the primary point of the text, okay? And we'll get to that in just a minute. One, so, a couple of things we can discern from what we know about Jesus. Number one, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, but Jesus wasn't baptized in a baptism of repentance. Why? Anybody know? He never sinned. So it wasn't, uh, we know one of the things we can cross off the list is a baptism of repentance. He, he wasn't baptized to repent of his sin because he never committed sin. Some thought as to why Jesus was baptized, and I believe some of these to be true, identifying with us. Uh, and so we are called to be baptized in the pool of water. Not just this one. Uh, uh, Wherever you're baptized, submerged under the water, the picture's burial, and that's why we're not sprinkled, and that's why we don't do different ways. But the word baptismo means to be submerged, to be underneath. When John was baptizing, other places in the gospel says that he went to a place because there was much water. If it was sprinkling, you could take a cup, and you could baptize a bunch of people, but he needed much water. Why? Because the picture is to be submerged. So, uh, what's happened here is Jesus, I believe with all my heart, is identifying with us, but let's just read the verses, and then we'll talk a little bit about it, okay? Uh, put your eyes with me, if you will, in Luke chapter number 3 and verse number 21 and 22, okay? When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized, and we, we we can discern from what we're hearing here that Jesus was the last one to be baptized. All the people were baptized, and then Jesus was baptized, and while he prayed, the heaven was open. So just just a few things identifying with us. Uh, Possibly Jesus was committing uh, that his life was going to be committed to a public ministry, uh, uh, what he'd already done, avoiding sin and depending on the Spirit for power, right? And so that's what we see began to happen here now when the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, okay? So just some things to consider tonight. And by the way, uh, I'm thankful that he was willing to identify with us And and I want to say this to you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you've invited Jesus to be Lord of your life, there ought to be a deep burning passion to follow through in baptism. If you never have, understand what you're saying is that I don't want everybody to know. I just want this to be between me and the Lord. Let me take it a step further. If there's been a time in your life that you've invited Jesus to be Lord and you've been born again and you've not followed through with baptized, there's a disconnect between you confessing him as Lord and you doing what he said do. Now, what we fail to realize is that when I'm saved, I'm not just saying, Lord Jesus, forgive me my sin, and now I'm forgiven and I move on. We're saying, Jesus Christ is Lord. Romans 10, 9, and 10, that you have to confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead and, and confess him as Lord. Confession there doesn't mean just to say it, it means to agree with God that Jesus is above all things and now in my life. And if he is in my life, then I'm going to do what he said do, and that is to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But there's another part of that, too. There's another part of that that I'm going to be obedient, and there's the first part of that, and that is to Matthew 28, 19 and 20, and that is to, help me somebody, make disciples. I'm going to be, if I call him Lord, because see, later on, Jesus says this, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? He said it's, it's an oxymoron. It's, it, they don't agree with each other. You can't say I'm Lord and not do what I ask you to do. I'm asking you to be, I'm commanding you to be baptized and to make disciples. And so that's what our life ought to be look like, be followed through in baptism. So maybe tonight the Spirit of God is dealing with you and saying, hey, Jesus was baptized, you should be too. Or maybe you're listening out there and you've never followed through, you think it's no big deal because you know it's not gonna get you into heaven and it's not, it's not gonna keep you out and it's not. But it is a tremendous difference maker in your life when you publicly identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't believe it, ask Alan. Amen? Alan, you shout amen, wouldn't you? And some about when you go into that water and you think about Jesus' body being laid in that tomb and you're identifying with him dying for you. Then pulling those, his arms back off of those nails, uh, separating his old tattered body from the cross, carrying it limp and dead and laying it down on that cold, dark, damp tomb and identifying with that when you go into that water and then, and then, and then the moment when he resurrected, came back to life, when you burst out of that water, you're saying to everybody, I believe he came back from the dead. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, somebody said, everybody asked me when they come out there, what what, you told me this was just, you know, why does it feel so good? Because you're doing what he said to and you're identifying with him. And I believe here he's identifying with us as well. And so let's move forward. So Jesus also was baptized. But something else we need to understand here in these couple of verses, the end of verse 21, and the scripture says, the next thing that happened, while he prayed, the heaven was opened. So I want you to write, there's two little statements that I made under uh, Jesus is baptized. One was just some thoughts, identifying with us, you know, committing to continue to stay away from sin because he was going to, uh, and be dependent on the Spirit. And then secondly, I wrote, prayer is extremely beneficial. And, and I want to make this statement to you tonight, uh, prayerlessness is pridefulness. The things I don't pray about, I assume I have the strength to do them on my own, and that is my friend pride. And so I need to be careful about that. I want to ask the Lord to keep me humble that I'm praying about everything, right? Everything by prayer and thanksgiving, okay? So prayer is extremely beneficial. Well, watch what happens. As Jesus is praying, the Bible says the heaven opened up. The heaven opened up. Can you imagine that? The heaven was open, And the next thing, verse number 22, and we're going to look at this for a minute, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. Now, um, I don't. what I want you to understand is there's a, a reason with which God chose to Uh, refer to the holy spirit as a dove and not a hawk or the or a dove and not an eagle i always have been enamored by eat bald eagles anybody else like that man that dude is awesome isn't it and i saw a video the other day i won't talk about it in detail because you know i know we have some animal love. there was an eagle there were some eagles taking down a coyote and i said ain't no way and they did i said man that bird is awesome if i was a bird i'd be a bald eagle right but the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who is all power, chose instead to be identified as a dove. And I want you to understand tonight that there's a reason for that. And I'd like to give you that reason if I could, from Matthew chapter 11, verse number 29. Would you write that in your notes? Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. See if this sounds like a dove. You ready? Matthew 11 and verse 29. you reading it? Put your eyes on the a screen overhead, or either on your Bible in your lap. Uh, Take my yoke upon you and learn. Uh, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am. That's not a hawk. That's not an eagle. Now Jesus contained all power, but the Holy Spirit was uh, uh, I believe, symbolic of now Jesus with all power was going to do it also with all meekness meaning he had the power to change everything in a snap of his fingers, but choosing instead to use the power in a gentle submission that he would die instead of me so that I could live. My, 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 what a savior, this Jesus. So the Holy Spirit's not a hawk, he's not an eagle, although those are awesome, don't you think? The Holy Spirit's full of power, would minister to and through Jesus, but how he would do it would be gentle and lowly gentle and lowly, and you will find rest for your souls. You know, he's not, a, he's not a burdensome taskmaster. Now, I threw that out there to see your faces, and they're all just sort of staring at me. I'm looking around to see if I can find one smile in the house. One somebody that knows walking with Jesus is not like walking with a burdensome taskmaster. Anybody will smile to that? I'm just trying to read a face in the house. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? He doesn't stand with a whip overbearing me and being an evil taskmaster, right? Driving me and and, and overloading me with a burden I can't stand. But instead, he's gentle and lowly in nature, and he always leads the way instead of pushing me away. And he gives me the strength. I'm telling you, it's it's unfair. It's unbalanced. You with me? It is biased. What I'm trying to say to you is that he's fixed the fight. It's a fixed fight. And the fight is fixed in our favor because the Holy Spirit of God living in us, gentle and lowly, gives us strength and power to overcome. Oh, sometimes... I say this, listen, and I mean it with my whole heart. The Holy Spirit really has to do a work of grace to make me gentle and lowly. Would anybody else say that about yourself? And I'm going to tell you I'm not there yet. And I'm, I'm, tonight I'm just going to be honest to say I'm asking the Holy Spirit tonight as I'm studying this and preaching this, I'm thankful that the preached word coming out of my mouth has the power to impact and change my life. And the Holy Spirit of God right now is dealing with me. And I pray all this week I'll be reminded of Jesus the Holy Spirit was a dove, not a hawk. I pray this week when you feel like pointing somebody and poking somebody and hammering somebody for what they've done wrong, you'll remember he's a dove, not a hawk. He's a dove, not, a, not an eagle. And that you and I will be gentle and firm. We're, we're still steadfast, right? We don't compromise truth. We love people where they are, but we're gentle and lowly like Jesus. God, help me to be gentle and lowly. I'm trying to move on, number three. Number three. Let me ask you to write down verse number 22, the second part of verse 22, and number three, and we have four. This third statement about Jesus we're learning tonight is Jesus is affirmed by the Father. He's affirmed by the Father. So let's read. Jesus is affirmed by the Father. Verse 22, the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven. How about that? And the voice said, you are my beloved son. Well, can you imagine being there that day? those brood of vipers, sons of the devil, you know, uh, tax collectors, soldiers, all kind of folk coming out to hear this got this message of hope for everyone through repentance and faith in Jesus. And now Jesus is baptized, identifying, I believe, with us. And now the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove, uh, the anointing of God upon, uh, the Spirit upon his life, And now what we see, and by the way, uh, I just consider sometimes the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Somebody said, I don't see that description. I said, what Bible are you reading? Because we see tonight, right, the Trinity. So now we have, and by the way, what a beautiful picture of the Trinity. So far we've had the Son, Jesus. We've had the Holy Ghost uh, uh, being anointing on Jesus as, as a dove. And now we have the Father. See, I told you, it's the Trinity. Perfect, equal, different. same listen he goes on to say the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form upon him and a voice came from heaven which said you are my beloved son in you I am well pleased now I want you to think about something for just a moment and you begin to ask yourself the question what is God pleased about in the person and the work of Jesus Christ the Son well let's think about it for a minute okay And by the way I tell you bring your brain to your faith okay and so the Word of God says there had to be a mediator, one that would go between the wrath of God and the rebellion of man, and the mediators, and, by, and, and the scripture says there's one mediator, and it is the man, Christ Jesus. So the fact that God the Son would come down, wrap himself in flesh, and go between as a mediator of a new covenant, a new covenant of grace by his own blood, Right? That, that Jesus would do that. <clears throat> God is pleased that Jesus would make peace between my heart and his. I'm amazed by that. You ever get to the place where people, when they do you wrong or hurt you, are always at odds where you say, well, you know what, just go on. I don't care if forever. You know, you just, just I just don't want to see you anymore. I don't want to be around you anymore. Y'all ain't never had that happen. I saw two smiles. Two of y'all got it. I'm not going to look at you because you smiled at me and I got it. I got you. I understand that. Uh, but everybody else in here, you've never had that feeling, so you don't know what I'm talking about. So I guess I'll just have to explain a little more detail. So oftentimes in life, people do us wrong, and bend us wrong, and hurt us, and, and we want to immediately just back away, right, leave, leave alone, or avoid the issue altogether. Uh, and that's not the way in which the follower of Christ should be, but isn't it good, isn't it good to know, isn't it good to know that he doesn't do me and you that way? Uh, he, he'll, he'll never leave or forsake us, and so uh, he, the Father was pleased that in the Son, he would make peace between me and you, I mean, between us and him. Listen to this. You know the writer, uh, Isaiah the prophet, said this, it pleased the father to wound the son. Now, as a daddy, that verse sort of messed with my head a little bit because there's no pain that my kids have ever experienced that brought me pleasure. Anybody, y'all going with me? Now, but the reason that this is weird to me is because he's God and I'm not and I'm stuck in seeing the pain of the moment, and I can't see past it. But he sees all time, real time, past, present, future, all real time for him. And so the suffering death of the son Jesus, at the same time he saw the day in which I would invite Jesus to be Lord of my life, and I'd be made right with him and have peace with him. He, he saw all the days of my life when he would allow me to be used by a spirit to bring other people into the kingdom and encourage other people to keep going. And I could do that at times, however many in here who have been born again, and however many who are out there who have been born again. And all of that pleased the Father in Jesus. And Jesus was the only one who could accomplish it. He said, He said, This is my Son in whom I am pleased. <clears throat> you know, if you're pleased, with your children. Any of you can say you look at your children, they've grown up, and you look at their life and you say, man, I'm well pleased by their lives. I think about my children and they're well pleasing to me as I watch them walk in the truth. And it's well pleasing. I can't imagine this feeling that the father had to the son. And so Jesus is affirmed by the father. And then finally, number four, can y'all believe we're out of time? Actually, we're over time a little bit, whatever that means. Number four, we don't pay no attention to that, right? I think it was Brother Jimmy who said, I preach most of the time in the red, so I'm going to <laughs> go ahead, right? <laughs> Here we go, all right? Roman numeral four. Jesus was, now this going to be a little wordy, but I want you to write it out, okay? Take the time to write it out. Jesus was unique like Adam, yet perfect as the fulfillment of God's promise. Now, all of that is wrapped up in that genealogy. <clears throat> I'm going to show you what I mean. Just go ahead and take a second and write that out, okay? Jesus was unique like Adam, Okay? like Adam. I didn't say identical to Adam, okay? One had a sin nature, one did not. But he was unique like Adam, called a son of God, right? Now, uh, he said he was unique like Adam, yet yet the difference is that Jesus was the perfect fulfillment of God's promise, okay? Now, let's look at two verses. The end verse here, and then I'm going to take you to a few verses of Genesis, and then we'll close. Here in Luke chapter number three, in verse number 38, he goes to the genealogy of Jesus. And Matthew, when Matthew's given the genealogy, he stops at Abraham. Remember, his audience is Jewish. So he stops with who? Abraham. But remember who the audience is for Luke. His name is Theophilus. And he is not a Jew. He is Gentile. And so he goes a little further up the family tree, if you will. And he says, he goes all the way back to Adam the Son son of God. Now, I want you to think about something for just a minute, okay? Adam was unique in that he was created by God, right? And he had known before him and many after him. And because of his one-time disobedience, uh, the whole entire world has paid a penalty, right? And has also been born with a nature that, that, that sins against God, okay? But then this, you know, Jesus is oftentimes referred to as the second Adam, And the reason is, now remember, they're not perfect examples, they're anti-types, right? Not anti-against, but anti-types. So Jesus, the second Adam, by one Paul said in Romans, by one man's sacrifice, many will be saved and made right with God. You see, what he's saying is one started a fall and one started a family of people made perfect by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Now, think for a minute about this, okay? Jesus was unique like Adam, but but perfect as the fulfillment of God's promise. I want us to look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 before we close. Okay? Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15. I think it's going to be on the overhead. Is it going to? Yes, it's on the overhead. And so there it is. You don't have to turn there. You can just look on the overhead with me tonight. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. So we go through this lineage all the way back to, <clears throat> to Adam and I want to, I want to read in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15, there was this promise that was made in the cursings of Genesis chapter 3. Now remember, Genesis chapter 3 was the consequences of the fall. The serpent got some, right? Uh, the, the creation got some. The woman got some. The man got some. Everybody got some. And we're still getting some. Anybody? Amen. And uh, thank God for Jesus who reversed the curse. And he did that on the cross. And now let's read Genesis 3 15. I said that Jesus was unique like Adam. So he went all the way back to Adam. As Theophilus is being reminded, he goes all the way back to creation, right? And he says, Genesis 3 and verse 15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. We're not all children of God. He shall bruise your head, okay? And you shall bruise his heel. Do you see the gospel? He, Jesus, shall bruise the serpent's head. The serpent shall bruise Jesus's. uh, Let me ask you a question: Do you see the gospel there? Now I know when you read bruising his heel, you don't really relate that to the cross because it, man, if you if you watch the Passion of the Christ, it'll make you nauseous, won't it? It's all. I mean, it's just too. It's too hard. It's almost too much to even watch, isn't it? And it was worse than that. So it doesn't look like a bruising of a heel, except. But Jesus couldn't be killed. I mean, he couldn't be uh, exterminated. He couldn't be done away with. He, he couldn't be denied. Matter of fact, it was his plan to die. So it was a bruising of the heel. But in the bruising of the heel, in Jesus' death, the perfect Lamb of God, he crushed Satan's head. Meaning that no longer could he hold me and you, First John five nineteen, captive, in darkness, under his power, now because of Jesus, the promised Messiah. Uh, He's telling Theophilus, going all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to, to Adam, there's this promise that God made, and Jesus is the fulfillment. And I want to say to you tonight, I love going outside these walls and telling everybody who listened, Jesus Christ is the answer. He's the answer to your situation. He's the answer to the longing of your heart. He's the one who fulfilled God's promise, and God has made a way for you to be right with him, and he's made a way for you not to be who you are today, and he's made a way for you to not be who you used to be, and he's made a way that Satan no longer has a claim on you, and he did it through his death and resurrection, but it begins and ends in a time of faith that leads to repentance. Now, let me ask you, would you bow your head with me for just a moment? Yes, I know, I'm surprised as well, but we've gone a little over And so tonight, just for a moment, pause and consider what it is that you've learned of Jesus this night. Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to ask the crowd, if I could, how many of you learned something about Jesus maybe you didn't know you hadn't thought about in a while? Slip your hand up if you, you learned something tonight. Amen. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. So tonight, we can say when we leave, listen, we can say that we've grown in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ what better place could you have been tonight? On the couch watching football, washing clothes for the week. Oh, heavens no. Right here in the house of the Lord, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, let's do this. Let's pray together that the Holy Spirit of God would do a work of grace in our heart and shape us tonight according to what we've learned. Wouldn't that be awesome? if the Spirit of God would shape us according to the Scripture, that we just didn't come tonight because that's what we do on Sunday night, but we came tonight anticipating God to speak and us to be shaped. Maybe that shaping for you is that you need to be born again. It's not a shaping at all. It's a creation. You need to be created in the image of Christ through the rebirth. Maybe you've never placed your faith in Jesus and trusted that the Son of God died on the Calvary's cross for your sin and rose from the dead And God's promise was fulfilled in Jesus. And tonight, if you would believe, and you believe in such a way that it would lead you to take an action of repentance, turning away from your sin, turning away from living life your way, waving the white flag of surrender and receiving Jesus into your life, receiving him. It's like taking the door handle and opening it up and saying, Jesus, come on in. I need you to be number one. I need you to be Lord. Lord. Listen, if you'll do that, he will begin to change you in ways you can't imagine. He'll give you hope. I wish I could tell you what it's like waking up with hope in your heart because you don't know you've never had it. I wish I could tell you what it's like waking up each day knowing I have a purpose to be here. I wish I could tell you what that's like, but, you, but I can't. And you don't know because you've never, you've never experienced You thought your purpose was to work, and you thought your purpose was just to, you know, have the American dream or whatever. And, and I just want you to know there's a greater purpose, and you won't know it, and you won't live it until Jesus becomes Lord of your life. I wish I could tell you in English language what it's like to be forgiven, but I can't. And you can't imagine until you've experienced it. And only Jesus offers it. I wish you'd come to him tonight. He says, come to me. Wish you'd come to him. I wish tonight you'd lay down your arms, quit resisting the Holy Spirit, and yield your life to Jesus. He's waiting with arms wide open. He's been waiting for you. As a matter of fact, he's been chasing after you. I love what Alan said this morning. It was a process. (laughs) It was a rough process. We were wrestling I'm praying right now, somebody either in this room or out there somewhere in a remote location or maybe in the weeks ahead in the podcast, I'm praying the Holy Spirit of God is wrestling you down and winning. Oh, there's nothing there except freedom and love and forgiveness. But maybe it is that you're here and you've, you've been born again. You, you know Christ. You know about purpose. You know what it means to be forgiven. But, but maybe you've not been identifying with him like you should. Maybe you've not followed through in baptism, and God's convicting your heart right now. Listen, if you walked an aisle when you were little, and you went and got baptized, but you truly were saved after that, what you got when you were younger is just but you got wet. And baptism is a picture of when you're truly born again. So maybe there's somebody in here, or somebody who's listening, that you need to get the baptism in the right order. And we want you to come. If that's you tonight, we invite you to come. I know some of you have been heavy laden with that. You've been wrestling with that. I remember uh, hearing Tina years ago say, you know, all these years I went after being saved. You know, many of you may not know this, but I baptized Tina at South Campus. And, and one day I have to tell you this quick story. She sends me a text message. We're riding down the road. She sends me a text message. Here's what it says. I have a confession to make. What'd you think? I'm ready to fight everybody in Rankin County. And she said, I have a confession to make. And I'm saying, oh, oh, oh let me, don't, you don't send somebody that has a text message. So I make a phone call. I'm like, hello. And she's sobbing on the other end of the phone. And I'm thinking, yep, there's no reason. Nobody's hurt. The kids are all good. There's gotta be that. <clears throat> and she squeaked out the words, Finally, I need to be baptized. You see, she'd walked an aisle when she was a little kid, but she wasn't saved until she was about 26 years old. And I said, Oh, honey, you know, I'm just gonna tell you like personally, selfishly. I said, Oh man, we got water, it's no big deal. What an insensitive thing to say. I said, tell me why you're so upset. She said, because for for years down at South Campus, you'd preach and the Holy Spirit would bring conviction. And I wouldn't walk down the aisle because I was worried about what would people think if the pastor's wife gets baptized. And so I don't know, I've never told that story before for her. and, And so I don't know, maybe somebody here needed to hear that tonight. It's time for you to step forward. It's time for you tonight to quit playing games and quit letting the enemy hold that over your head and settle the issue and be baptized for the glory of Jesus' name. maybe you hear God's calling you to be a part of this gathering and so if that's you then tonight I wish you'd come so what we're gonna do now is stand to our feet I'm gonna invite you to stand up and make way in case there's some people want to go to the altar brother Jimmy and mr. nay are gonna be down front to help me and Dawn and Shane are gonna be down front to help me if they would and we're gonna just take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit would you bow with me and just begin to pray right now Holy Spirit would you move would you speak God would you direct would you just pray right now Lord that somebody tonight would be saved Would you pray with me tonight that somebody would get their baptism in the right place in their life? Father, I pray that your kingdom would come tonight. I thank you so much for Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for loving me. Does anybody else thank God for loving you? I'm so amazed by your love. Tonight, have your way in our hearts. Cause us to respond with humility and grace. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.